entering the Freedom Hut. Speech authoritarianism and the threat to freedom. The CDC expands vaccine guidance. When will America reopen and how do we protect our sacred institution? This is the Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. Make no mistake. You're a great American again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. He's a great guy. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome, friends. Great to have you here with me on the Buck Sexton Show. I am very concerned, as you know, about this trend of censorship that's happening all across social media. Because you have to remember, they're not going to be judicious in the application of this. They're not going to say, okay, only the really bad people on the right, and there are certainly some, only those people are going to be punished. No, there's going to be mass purges, not only of individuals, but also of ideas. In some cases, ideas that are really central policy debates. We should have seen this coming. Because it wasn't the election. You have to remember, it wasn't the election that was the original reason for online censorship. It was COVID-19 lockdowns and mask effectiveness. And that's a different thing, isn't it, than just saying anything outright about masks. If you even question the effectiveness of them, something that in the beginning of 2020, as you've no doubt heard me talk about many times, Dr. Fauci suggested there was essentially no effectiveness. That was what Fauci said. They can pretend he didn't. But now if you even question it, you are deplatformed, you're attacked, you are banned, you're censored. And we have been led to believe through four years that the real threat of authoritarianism and the heart of authoritarianism is the concept of you must obey. It is not about your consent. You must obey and there are there are threats. There is eventually the threat of force attached to this. But even in the earlier stages, it's obey or you can't uh, speak out without fear of being censored by platforms. Obey or maybe you can't even conduct your business anymore. You'll be boycotted. Uh, obey or you won't be able to use banking services. You'll be kicked out of essential parts of day-to-day life until you submit you must submit or else we've been told for four years that the big threat of this came from donald trump and the right when all along and and there's really no serious disagreement about this all along there has been a complete opposition to this president from the media from silicon valley and from much of corporate america look at what happened during the blm riots And protests. There were lawful BLM protests, to be sure, but there were also a lot of riots, a lot of destruction of property, a lot of assaults on police. Corporate America was almost uniformly supportive of those protests. Uh, Corporate America was sending them money, and there was no condemnation of political violence or riots. Social media allows you to say things like, Racist cops murdered this person. And then when we find out more facts and we know that it's not actually not a murder and it was not motivated by racism based on anything that we know, there's no fact check run on that. 
There's no additional context that's put out there. So we know that there is a, a capricious application of the, the terms of service, whether it's about COVID lockdowns or BLM and political violence. They're playing games, folks. They're not applying these standards honestly. In fact, they're weaponizing the standards against one side. Where does the greatest concern of authoritarianism come from? Look, show me a regime around the world, either today or, or in history, that was truly an authoritarian state and ask yourself this question was the press such as it was in complete opposition to the ruling party or totally doing the bidding of the ruling party and you'll come to a very straightforward conclusion now there may be some opposition papers here and there a little bit there may be but do you ever have the entirety of the corporate establishment uh, and and the information establishment and the intellectual class, so to speak, completely united against a truly authoritarian regime. No, because y- you couldn't have uh, you couldn't have such a a governing uh, a governing system. You couldn't have somebody in total control with so many powerful forces arrayed against them. I bring this up between because my concern now is that we're heading toward what is supposed to be a benevolent authoritarianism of the left and the Democrat Party, but will end up just being the authoritarianism. That's what we're actually going to get. They think it's for our own good. We have to censor bad ideas. Got to keep you safe so you can't question lockdowns or masks. Got to get rid of political violence, but we're only going to do it from the right. And by the way, I support the elimination of political violence, but I do think it should be supported in all uh, kinds of politics and from all sides of of the aisle uh, and, and from American political conversation and discourse. So notice how there's there's just a complete lack of understanding of what will really happen, what we're facing when you have a a government that's coming into power here that is almost messianic. I mean, it has a a zeal to to do things in your life. Say what you will about Trump, much of his Governing philosophy, whatever, you, however you want to describe it, uh, involved letting people do what they were going to do. And he wasn't trying to get all up in everything that your life is, is about day in and day out. That's about to change. Your choices, your freedoms are going to be under assault in unprecedented ways from people who believe that even if they're not helping you, they're helping society. You see, they're assisting they're advancing the collective. And so whatever. Whatever uh, downfall this this creates, whatever downside this creates for you. Is irrelevant. And they're going to be echoed by everything, everything you're seeing in the mainstream media, everything you're going to be seeing from Silicon Valley. I mean, if you wanted to create an authoritarian America Having Silicon Valley and 95 percent of the journalistic establishment and a a truly angry and emboldened Democrat Party, it's it is a concern. It's it's a worry because they're not saying this would be a perfect opportunity for Joe Biden and the Democrats to say, everybody, we are reconciling as a nation. The election is over. Joe Biden won. He will be president. Kamala Harris will be vice president. And we're going to be a good administration for all Americans. We're not purging. 
We're not settling scores. We're not doing any of that stuff. And I, I tell you this, it, it would be a, a lot of people would be very receptive to that message, including, I think, a lot a lot of people who are Republicans. They would say, OK, and, and if they took those actions in good faith. Wow, wouldn't it be nice? I would rather actually live in an America where we can debate policy issues. But by and large, politics is much less a, a an obsession of individuals where and it has to be for some folks because you've seen i mean they've the lockdown mentality has destroyed countless lives this year and so you, politics even if you didn't care about it before it cares about you so it's been unavoidable I, I would prefer us to go to a place where it's more of a of an intellectual and, and curiosity hobby right oh what's going on in politics today right before you check out the sports section or you know look at what uh, soap operas you're going to watch i don't know how many of you watch soap operas but you get the idea i think that would be a healthier place for us to be as a country where you know yes we we have our politics but we have these other areas of of public life where we we don't have to always be an r or a d or whatever else people are Um, but here's my my warning to all of us i don't think that's where we're heading at all i think Everything is going to be even more political because the people that think that Donald Trump was a fascist and that his they they believe that his supporters have to also pay a price. And that price is not just losing the election, which is very, very disconcerting. And yeah, he lost. It's done. It's over. Okay, it's finished. Uh, And that hurts to, to say for a lot of people that's that makes them pretty depressed. Uh, But that's not sufficient. In the eyes of the left, there has to be a whole other level here. They want a repudiation, not only of Trump ideas, but of one's former support for this president. That's where this is all going. They want total and complete submission. And the acceptance of uh, our our tech overlords and their view of what is acceptable speech Uh, This is the the biggest threat to day to day individual freedom I've seen in America, uh, certainly since the the darkest days of 9-11 and and the the lockdown and crackdown afterwards on a whole host of activities and ideas. Um, But with this one, it's not that it's not that there's Al Qaeda, there's some external enemy. The enemy that the Democrats see is is internal and they're they're pushing this with an increase in domestic terror investigations and prosecutions referring to not just people that broke the law and stormed the Capitol and the rioters, but referring to anyone running around D.C. as a uh, a terrorist or terrorist in waiting. They're going to be very broad with how they apply these definitions, and they're going to be very ruthless with the way they try to exact revenge. So I want us all to be prepared for this. Uh, This is going to be a challenging time for those of us who do not agree with whatever the Biden-Harris agenda is going to be and who fight against the lockdowns, who fight against the digital tyranny that is upon us now. We are on we are on defense big time. And a lot of us got used to being on political offense for a few years, but the pendulum has swung far to the other side. Now, this is not a cause for despair. It's just a cause for looking at the reality and preparing for it, understanding who you trust, who you're alongside and and how we move forward together. 
And a big part of this is the battle over tech and over social media and and the Internet, which is the biggest advancement in human communication, uh, certainly since electricity. And, and before that, you'd have to say the printing press. Right. I mean, this is enormous. And we cannot allow this to become dominated by one set of beliefs. And, and I believe that it'll really tear the country apart if that's allowed to continue or if that's allowed to continue on its current trend. And with that, I'm glad to see that there's the beginnings, at least, of a resistance and a pushback to the crackdown from Facebook and others. Let's dive into that. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Well, we know this was organized online. We know that. Um, We, again, took down QAnon, Proud Boys, Stop the Steal. Anything that was talking about possible violence last week, our enforcement's never perfect. So I'm sure there were still things on Facebook. I think these events were largely organized on platforms that don't have our abilities to stop hate and don't have our standards and don't have our transparency. But certainly to this day, we are working to find any single mention that might be leading to this and making sure we get it down as quickly as possible. This is just not true. That's the uh, Facebook COO, Sheryl Sandberg. When she says that this can't be done on Facebook or that this wasn't done on Facebook or that there, there have not been violent riots planned and executed using platforms like Twitter and Facebook, that's just not accurate. I mean, you look back at news stories stretching back for years. There's been all kinds of horrible stuff, horrible stuff that has transited the the servers and and platforms and and put on your screen from Facebook, from Twitter, from these because they're platforms and they have this Section 230 protection that allows them to be platforms. But they are now acting as publishers because they're taking editorial lines and they're not. Uh, They're not applying standards without politicization. So they want to have it both ways. And that's the fundamental issue here. And they're getting away with it. They're getting away with it. When she says that the Capitol Hill riots were not organized on Facebook. That's a very, you know, that's a very interesting position for it to take. How would they how would they even know? And how quickly are they taking things off? You're really going to tell me that Facebook, with its billions of users and and all the people that gathered together and and went to D.C. and anybody who was talking about criminal activity, they didn't they didn't use Facebook. It was all on parlor. That's the allegation. Uh, They better prove that one. I want to see the proof because I know that Facebook has been used to plan jihadist terror attacks. I mean, you look at these other platforms there's all kinds of horrible stuff going on, but we, we, we don't hold the phone companies responsible for what any lunatic, you know, if, if, a, if a mafia boss calls in an assassination, you know, a hit on somebody using a phone, we, we don't blame the cell phone company. Oh, why didn't you? Why didn't you stop this? It's impossible to have perfect moderation. And that seems to be the standard that they're holding parlor to where they pull down violent content or incendiary content. Maybe they're not as efficient as Facebook, but they haven't said, well, let's just increase your efficiency. You know, when you're talking about Amazon Web Services, AWS, pulling Parler off the Internet, it isn't, oh, we'll work with you so that you guys 
we, we can all agree on what the rules of the road here and you're going to enforce them. It's no, sorry, you're done. We, we think there's too much violent stuff on on your site. Twitter is full of horrible stuff, horrible stuff. They've got, uh, you know, Iranian politicians and 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 you know Russian dictator. And, and they got all kinds of wacko, awful propaganda on there calling for genocide against human beings. I mean, the Chinese Communist Party can spew whatever nonsense they want on Twitter and they, they don't get any you know, pushback from these authorities. So we know that the standard is a let's crush conservative standard. And it, it reminds me right now, it reminds me a little bit of how conservatives were completely, you know, put on their back feet and and scared after the shooting, uh, uh, the shooting of I'm sorry, the incident with George Floyd. It wasn't a shooting where where the knee was on his neck and his back and then BLM riots happened. And all of a sudden, everybody was, whoa, uh, you know, I maybe maybe cops are racist and maybe we should do some big legislative effort here to, to address this and new training, everything. I said, hold on a second. This is one incident. Let's look at all. We didn't have all the facts. As you know, we only saw half that video. The other half of the video was important, important to see. But people were scared. And the, the left is ve- they're very adept at this. They're very good. They go after people intentionally in bad faith on the right. If they just wanted to purge the crazies. A lot of people sit around and say, all right, I mean, you know, Q is a bunch of wackos. I'm I, you know, I, I don't even I don't even know what Q believes. I mean, Q is insane. So I don't you know, that's not my problem. A lot of people sit around and say, well, what's the but no for them to really gain political power for for the left, for the Democrats to fully leverage what's going on. They got to go after some people that they know are opposed to any kind of political violence that they know denounced immediately and would always going forward denounce a riot in the Capitol building. They got to get some of those people because that sends a message to everybody, to the vast majority of conservatives, to the 99.9% of conservatives who would never raise their hand in anger against a police officer over a political issue. Uh, The left sends a message to all of them. We can get you too. you think just because you're ethical and honorable and and don't support political violence and don't support breaking laws because of, of, of election discontent that you're safe or that you'll be allowed to speak? No, no, friends. Authoritarians always have to make an example of the compliant as well as as well as those who disobey. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Do you have any concerns that Congress will be distracted uh, if this trial goes forward instead of focusing on the cabinet and coronavirus? Yes, I do have concerns. But so does uh, Speaker Pelosi. Uh, Mitch McConnell is a pretty good legislator, and he's doing what he thinks he needs to do to be disruptive of uh, President Biden. But I will say to Mitch McConnell, uh, Nancy Pelosi is smarter than that. Uh, We'll take the vote that we should take in the House, and she will make the determination as when is the best time to get that uh, vote, to get the managers appointed, and move that legislation uh, over to the Senate. It just so happens that if it didn't go over there for 100 days, uh, it could be. Let's give uh, President-elect uh, Biden 
the hundred days he needs to get his agenda off uh, and running. And maybe we'll send uh, the articles uh, sometimes after that. It's not even going to be done when Trump leaves. They're already the Democrats are already signaling this to you. Not not going to let this go. And, and I, I've I've read that the attorney general, Bill Barr, had advised the president not to pardon himself. And I understand the legal rationale for that. And I'll say I, I became worried about the president's about how the president was doing when when he started to turn on Bill Barr. Uh, which, as you know, I would I would not do. And I did not I did not agree with that. And I became even more worried when he's turning on Mike Pence, who I, I think is has been an, an amazing uh, case study in somebody who has maintained his composure and his dignity and his decency through just a, a maelstrom. I don't mean just recently. I mean, for all four years. Uh, all the attacks on the left and everything they put against Mike Pence. Let's not forget Mike Pence. Everything he's shown us so far is that he's a good man who's trying his best in a very difficult job. I believe the same thing is true of Attorney Attorney General Barr. Uh, and I said all along, maybe he didn't appoint a special counsel on Hunter Biden uh, because he had already looked at what was going on there and he didn't see he didn't see any federal crimes to investigate. It's possible, friends. I know this stuff does not get this doesn't get a lot of uh, a lot of clicks, a lot of love in conservative media. But I'm I'm telling you the truth. I'm telling you the truth because I am your friend. I am your ally. I'm here with you. Shields high. And, you know, the the uh, continuation of the persecution of Trump, you can bet on that. That's going to happen. I mean, here, there you had uh, when we started this out, uh, Congressman Clyburn saying that they want to do this after the 100 days of Biden's agenda. I'm also going to tell you right now, be prepared for this. There was a lack because of some of the personnel decisions. There was a lack of focus and efficacy when Trump came into office to pursue. I'm talking about the very beginning in 2017 after the inauguration to pursue agenda items that needed to get done. You know, we did not have a repeal and replace of Obamacare. We did not get uh, we got 15 miles of, of new fence or wall at the border, hundreds of miles of upgraded fence or wall. But we needed more new wall. There were things that were left undone because there was a lack of focus. All we really got were tax cuts and deregulation, which is great. And I, and I praise them and I don't walk back from that at all. I still think those were very good moves. But understand that the Biden administration is going to undo all of that now and then some. So what do I see happening here? They're going to pursue, as the Democrats do, remember with Obamacare, 20, uh, starting 2009, going all the way through, they're going to pursue with ruthless efficiency a, a transformational agenda uh, that, the, that the left approves of. It won't be as radical, I think, as some of this stuff we're concerned about right now, not yet at least, because they're going to use this moment in time to uh, run up the scoreboard for sure. That's what's going to happen. And uh, they're, they're also going to continue to go after Trump and they will not be satisfied until he and I, and I believe his, his family as well are in legal jeopardy and also that his supporters. And, and when I mean supporters, I don't just mean his voters. I mean, there's 75 million Trump voters. I think it's going to be hard to, you know, to go after all of them. Uh, but I mean, the, Top people in his White House, 
there there are there's going to be ramifications for them from the left professionally once they once they leave this White House. I think that's also very much going to be the case. So with all of that, I would say that there was one thing uh, that Jim Clyburn mentioned when he was going into his whole Donald Trump, how we're going to get Donald Trump and, and wait the hundred days. And that is there needs to be a renewed national focus on just what exactly is going on here with coronavirus and what a complete debacle the vaccine rollout has been so far. And people who are trying to blame the federal government are delusional. It is not the federal government has delivered the vaccine at a five to one rate of the actual distribution of the vaccine. And the distribution has been left up to the states. That was the decision that was made. And remember this, Governor uh, Newsom in California, Governor Cuomo in New York was saying that he wouldn't even distribute the vaccine until his own state health authorities had approved it. So he was taking not even just the, the right to determine who gets this and how quickly he was going a step beyond that to. Uh, taking this and and saying that he might delay it. That's the kind of power that he said he had. So it's it's up to the states and some states, West Virginia comes to mind. There are others have been really efficient at this. Others have been a disaster. Uh, It's going to be very difficult for us to talk about freedom as a general political issue when we do not have individual day-to-day freedom in our lives because of the response to COVID-19. We all need to understand that. We've got to get this country reopened. And a huge part of that, I've been telling this all along, you know, they, oh, you're anti-science, and this is what they always say, but people question lockdowns. No, I, I think I'm a big advocate for people who are at risk, who are at, who are at high risk, getting the COVID-19 vaccine as soon as possible. I want family members of mine who are at the, age where they're in a risk category you know everybody in my family who's at who's at a high risk i want them getting the vaccine i'm trying to figure out how they can get it as soon as possible but like a lot of other people across the country all we see is more bureaucratic bullcrap and red tape and slowdowns why aren't we getting this into the arms of people that it will save with with just incredible speed That's what it should be. You know, it was warp speed to get this thing approved. It is not warp speed to get it distributed. And there are some pretty clear reasons as as to why. There are government officials who think that the most important thing is the equity of the distribution of this. They've taken a social justice approach to the distribution of a vaccine. And there's all these other considerations. Uh, Here's how this should be done. Every state should set up the resources to, to put out information about where to go if you are 65 or over to get this vaccine quickly and safely. The end. I mean, that, that should be the focus. And the CDC has just updated its guides. I mean, the CDC has been abominable with so much of its guidance along the way here. Should schools stay open? Uh, you know, they didn't really know. And then a lot of schools shut down. Tell me why not why why a single school in America should be closed at this point for COVID-19. What what sense does that make when we know that it's a a very minimal threat to children? It is a smaller threat to, this is a fact. I want I can't even be 
falsely fact-checked by Facebook or any of these others on this one, it is less dangerous to children under the age of 12 than the flu on a per capita infectious basis. That's that's just true. That's a that's a, a fact. So why aren't why are, are are kindergartens and, you know, grammar schools across the country in some and a lot of schools are open, but in some places they're still closed or they're only doing, you know, partial openings, whatever it may be. Well, it's because everyone in the bureaucracy just wants to take the position of maximum safety and minimum risk in what they're saying. And that same approach to the vaccines distribution has meant that there are a lot of people who are waiting for this. This is costing lives. You know, they keep saying, oh, if only we masked up better. And, you know, we have people on uh, on Capitol Hill I've seen are saying, oh, Republicans refuse to wear a mask indoors with them. And so uh, th- and then there are a couple of members of Congress have tested positive. And one of them, there's photos of her in Congress indoors without a mask on. And, and this is always my point. If you wear a mask 90 percent or 99 percent of the time uh, and, and taking photos, and look at how much I mask up, you know, that that one minute period where you don't have your mask on, you might get infected. And so the rest of it doesn't the rest of the time with the mask doesn't matter. This is what people don't seem to really understand. We're talking about this as a policy. The second you take that thing off, you have no protection now. So the fact that you were wearing it, that's why I get so angry about, oh, you got to wear a mask in a plane. Oh, you got to wear a mask in a restaurant. You have no protection. So it, it doesn't matter if you get infected and they'll say, well, b- but maybe it's less likely you'd, you'd get infected. I mean, if you're being exposed to covid, I, how much less likely they, uh, they can't answer that question. But the point here being uh, that we have to demand accountability from government authorities. And we're, we're going to be also pushing increasingly for red states to be taking a more active, a more active role in the protection of of our rights and also to show more of our fellow Americans that places like Texas and Florida, which are governed by Republicans, are outperforming in every important metric places like New York and California. You're going to see a big focus, and it's true on COVID for sure. I think it's going to be true on everything, though. You're going to see a big focus on this in the months ahead. And and also a continued outflow of anyone who doesn't want to live in a crazy blue state. Unfortunately, there'll be some Democrats that also then go and vote Democrat in, in Texas or Florida uh, but that's that's going to be happening. And and the vaccine change is something the vaccine distribution changes, something that we have to be looking at and advocating for very, uh, very closely. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. We must plan our economic resurgence. We simply cannot stay closed until the vaccine hits critical mass. The cost is too high. We will have nothing left to open. We must reopen the economy, but we must do it smartly and safely. We will have nothing left to open. Who does that sound like? Who? Those of you listening to the show, you say, wait a second. If we stay locked down through the whole winter, there'll be nothing left to open, at least for independently owned and small businesses. You know, Walmart will be fine. Starbucks will be fine. But for the millions and millions of people who don't own a Walmart or shares in it, for that matter, uh, what happens to them? Oh, you mean their livelihoods are ruined and they're bankrupted and their communities are devastated. I thought if you brought this up, you were putting a price on human life because that's what Cuomo used to say about this. 
But now, as we see, here's what's really happening. They have a very hard time showing people who are approaching this with an open mind. How is it that we have benefited exactly in large uh, in large urban centers? Right. So Los Angeles and New York City. And how have we benefited from the most draconian lockdown stuff? It has it has been really effective. And that's a very hard case to make. I mean, what do we really think? Are our cases reduced? 20 percent month to month, 40 percent month, maybe. Is that is that the, the claim? Because Florida doesn't lock down and Florida is not 10 times the cases, five times the cases, double the cases. No, no, their businesses are open. There are some restrictions in place, but their businesses are open. So why are all restaurants in New York City and, and Los Angeles shut down? What's the upside of this? Uh, OK, they're not locked down in Miami. They're not locked down in, in Tampa. And. This is why they're starting to say, well, you know, maybe we should start to think about reopening, even though we're not through the pandemic yet. Oh, wow. You don't say this is the Cuomo chorus. This is the Fauciites finally coming to the conclusion that I came to a long time ago, which is that you can't just have a a, a zero sum approach to this whole thing where you either go extreme lockdown or you want everyone to die and you're a terrible person. Which is which is the way they frame this issue when when Trump was uh, making the initial decisions back in April and May. That's what they in March, April and May. That's what they were saying. You you either were in favor of these severe lockdowns or you were a bad person. There was there was no middle ground. And I trust me, I know because people were saying horrible things to me as if I wasn't a New York City resident with my entire family here. All of us in the in the epicenter of the initial covid outbreak in New York, still the highest number of deaths per capita, New York and New Jersey of any state in the country, as if I wasn't as concerned as anybody else about this. But I also was trying to think about what the policy trade offs would be and looking at how much do we really gain from. Remember, lockdown is they, they act like what they're telling you is everyone stay home and everyone mask up 100 percent. And that's the benefit we're going to get from this. But that's not how it happens. You still have essential workers. You still have people going to medical appointments. You still have people going to the grocery store. You have people going to big box stores to go get a new TV. And and so the virus continues to spread. And you lock down things like restaurants in New York. They thought 1% of cases were happening in restaurants. 1%. So you're going to destroy the entire restaurant industry to, to... to not even eradicate, but to slow 1% of cases? When you start to think this through, it just doesn't make sense. It always made sense to say, if we have too many cases at once, we cannot treat people in the hospitals, There, more people will die as a result of that, so we have to slow them for hospital capacity. That was a fair point to make. That was an honest point to make. And that's why so many people went along with it. We have to this day not had a major hospital system in a U.S. city unable to give treatment to anyone with covid. But that's still the framework that we're all using. It's either agree with me or people die in the emergency room without any without anyone able to even look at them without anyone with uh, able to provide the medical attention. 
That's not the reality of what we're seeing to this day. And that's why there's finally, it seems, the beginnings of an opening to have a real conversation about this. The beginnings of of an opening that I hope we will uh, continue to push on. Even Governor Cuomo saying it. Thanks for listening to the Bus Sex and Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Harsanyi time, everybody. Our friend back from a, a short stint of book writing. So we haven't had him on in the new year yet. Our friend David Harsanyi back in the mix here. He is a senior writer at National Review, and he's going to have a great book to talk about at some point soon. But for right now, it's still getting written. David, great to have you. Always a pleasure to be here. Thank you. All right, man. We haven't had you weigh in on just the state of things right now. What what is what is top of mind for you in the political scene as we as we talk today? Uh, um, well, I, I am very concerned about uh, just generally free speech issues. So for me, I am, you know, concerned about how Twitter and Google and Amazon are acting just in general. So that's a big topic for me. Obviously, I, I am uh, concerned for the country in general when you look at the anger and the violence that was generated last week um, over the election, which I, you know, which I think was pretty horrible and uh, perpetuated by a mythology that the entire election was stolen. And uh, so the, I guess those are the two big things. And, and then, you know, we haven't even really been able to really sort of get our minds around, at least I haven't, you know, what the what a, a Biden administration means for us on a, on a number of issues. But I think obviously we'll have enough time for that. Let's let's take some of these one by one. Let's let's start with the free speech issue. I've been talking a lot on the show about what it means for big tech censorship. And I do think that that particularly among conservatives on, on the right there, there is a. You know, people say, oh, does it really matter? You know, Twitter does this or Facebook does that. Does it really matter now? And that that had been the attitude. You know, people that work in media, we care a lot about it because it affects our ability to speak to our, our readers and listeners. But I think the general public is getting an understanding now. No, this is this is the entire Internet architecture that is being used to silence. This is if your business is selling products of any kind that, you know, who knows? I mean, you might be selling MAGA hats and all of a sudden Amazon decides uh, you're shut down and not just we won't sell your stuff. We'll take your website off the Internet. Right. Or credit card companies say we're not going to sell, you know, we're not, you can't use us to buy, you know, guns or, or whatever it is. So it's very problematic. I, I struggle with it because I'm a big believer in, in the free market and a big believer in, in people being able to make choices in that market on their own. I do find it funny that the same people who are pro individual mandate in Obamacare and want to force you to buy health insurance, who want to sue nuns to buy condoms, who want to, uh, you know, involve themselves in essentially everything that's done by the um, by the free market. Sorry, that's my dog barking. That's okay. Um, it's the world we're in now. We got to do hits from home. You get a dog. I love. You know, I love dogs, so I got no problem. Go ahead, David. So in any event. So I find it funny that they pretend to care about, you know, these choices, which I think they're just happy to be able to shut people up who they disagree with. So 
my contention on this and my argument is, listen, there's a value behind the First Amendment and free expression. It's not just about the right. If Even if the right wasn't codified, even if it wasn't written down, we would still believe in the ideals of it. So when you're just so happy to shut down millions of people because they're saying something that you don't like, and I don't even like most of the time, I think that that's an illiberal attitude. And when that becomes normalized as it is now, this is even beyond like sort of the practical parts of it. When you chip away at that and people feel like it's fine to shut down millions of voices that they don't agree with, I think that bodes very poorly for the First Amendment moving forward as well. And I'll just use this as an example. The term, and because I've been speaking about this really for, for all of Trump's presidency, the term white supremacy. I mean, I remember there was that Edward Norton movie, American History X, which I never actually really, I saw pieces of it here and there on HBO and such. But, you know, there, there are movies... Uh, or, or, you know, when, when people talked about white supremacists in the 90s, the early 2000s, it, immediately, you know, you had this image of a a very bad person who was, of course, a, a racist, but also an anti-Semite and, you know, neo-Nazi white supremacist, shaved head, swastika tattoo guys. You know, th- this was what you would see in your mind with white supremacy. And everyone agreed these are bad guys. The term white supremacy now is used routinely by the left for, you know, I mean, if, if you oppose, if you support the Asian American uh, uh, guy who sued Harvard for discriminating, against, people say, well, this is this is perpetuating white supremacy. It's like the term white. So I, I bring this up just because I feel like everyone needs to understand, well, e- even if they are saying they're only going to go after bad people. Uh, for 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 wrong think online or for for evil thing that is abs they're gonna they're gonna expand this so that they'll go after people who just oppose an idea and is com- and it's a completely legitimate opposition. Yeah, I mean you make a very good point. People who want to shut down a bad voice, and we say, if we give in and say, hey, yeah, you know, if we if we treat free speech as not a neutral value but just simply something that protects good speech that never ends. As you mentioned, everyone's a white supremacist, right? I mean, anyone who, who's, you know, behind a tax cut is a white supremacist because it's unfair or whatever it is. It's funny that you mentioned American History X. I'm probably getting this somewhat wrong, but this that movie is a perfect example of how they do this. There's a scene where he's at the table being all Nazi-like, right? He's saying, you know, I hate black people, I hate Jews. And then all of a sudden he's like, an affirmative action is terrible, you know? Like, so they fold in things that are reasonable to disagree with into the larger, you know, context of hatred and stuff like that. You know, oh, you want to close the border, um, you know, the, the Nazi guy wants to close the border. So they're essentially saying anyone who wants to close the border is also a Nazi or, or they, you know, they intimate that. So well, that's yeah, why, you, I, you know, I told you I hadn't, I hadn't seen the movie. I just I don't want to cut you off. I want you to continue your point. But I just say, I mean, so so it's even it's even apparent that tendency to take what is objectively and, and objectively clearly wrong, immoral, evil, but then use that sort of universal moral revulsion to then start going after things that clearly aren't that right. Like, like if you oppose tax cuts, but go ahead. Yeah. It's like saying, I really, you know, making a, a, a creating a fictional character as a Nazi and then saying, I'm really for, you know, uh, uh, Medicare for all because, you know, you know, Germans had that kind of system long, you know, long before anyone. And, and, and Richard Spencer, or is it Richard Spencer or I forgot whatever the Nazi guy's name is, 
um, you know, is for it as well. So then you must be for it. So, I mean, it's just an expansive view of these things and it never ends. And that's why you have to worry about speech. Like, let me just say, saying the people who are getting banned are saying that the election was stolen, right? Um, I disagree with them. But that's a complete, that's just a viewpoint. It's not an inciting, you know, you're not inciting violence by having that viewpoint just because some people acted violently. Nancy Pelosi still has, Nancy Pelosi still has a tweet up, David, from 2017 saying our election was hijacked. That's the same thing as saying stolen. And it's still up. There, there, there are there were people on CNN who essentially and on MSNBC who are no better than Linwood or anyone else who had conspiracy theories that were just as bad. Now, do I want elected officials to act better than the than the talk show person? Yeah, I do. But that but but still, as far as speech goes, they were saying the same thing. I would ask any of these people, do you believe that the 2016 election was or was not stolen or if the Russians were involved? And they're still going to they'll still tell you the Russians were. So I don't understand why they get. To, I mean, I do understand why they get to speak. But obviously, the standard's not the same. Speaking of David Harsani, senior writer at National Review. And you can read his latest at nationalreview.com. David, where do you think conservatism goes now? Uh, it feels very, we, we, we're, we're uncertain. A lot of people are really worried. And there doesn't seem to be any, anything offering much in the way of, of answers about you know, what, what the movement is. What do you think happens? I don't know what the movement is. I mean, obviously, I have serious disagreements with many people on the right over, uh, you know, trade policy or policy with big tech. And obviously, there's going to be some big disagreements. But frankly, you know, people who think the Republican Party is finished or this or that, I I think they misjudge the situation. Um, I think what's going to happen is you'll have the Biden administration doing all kinds of things that conservatives hate as a collective. And then that will unite them as it did unite the you know, the left when Trump became president. So that's typically what happens because you have big consensuses on the right and left, not a multi-party state, you know, meaning more than two that are always fighting. So I, I don't know that it's going to be all, you know, rosy and, and there'll be a friendship among all those folks. Um, I mean, I'm not a big fan of like Howley or or others, you know, who are more populist. But I think that in the end, you have if you have a common and I use the word, not you know, common enemy, but I don't mean it in the in the war warlike sense. But if you have a common political opponent, you uh, you sort of rally around the trying to stop them. And and on on the big tech issue, that's one area where people keep saying, okay, well, what do we do? And I don't have a great answer other than everyone's got to understand what this really means. I and and you know the the answer that I had been thinking of was well we'll build our own stuff. But you got to go a whole lot deeper now, we've seen, to build your own stuff and actually have it withstand a left-wing purge. Yeah, I used to say, you know, I get mocked for saying build your own, you know, build your own institutions, build your own platform. I still think you can. Um, I mean, Parler probably would have been somewhat successful on, on its own, even though I think I don't like the echo chamber aspect of it. But whatever, you know, it is what it is. But now you have, you know, sites purging purging the ability of people to even have a site. And I don't know if you remember a few months ago, uh, Google ads threatened to shut down the Federalist because people were saying things in their comment section. You essentially are, are given this power to arbitrarily have rules and then pick and choose who you want to shut down. I mean, I've worked at a number of websites in my life and policing a comment section is 
impossible, right? There's always going to be someone saying something. So you could just pick any of them and decide you want to shut them down and for any reason. I don't know how to deal with that. I, I think giving government more power and trying to, uh, you know, empower government to decide what speech should look like or fair speech should look like. I think that's a dangerous turn as well. You see the people who are in government. I, I wouldn't I don't trust them with much. Certainly wouldn't want to trust them with uh, deciding who gets free speech and who doesn't or more speech. So I'm with you. I don't have a solution for it. Um, also, explain this to me. Section Section 230 uh, of the 1996 Communications Decency Act, whatever it is. Section 230 gives people who run these kinds of, you know, Facebook and, uh, you know, all these big Internet companies that, that have a platform effect where you can write comments, as you said. It means that they're not liable for that. But Parler, according to Amazon, is being taken, has been taken off their servers because of what third parties were writing on Parler. You know, so it's it, that does seem highly arbitrary, doesn't it? I mean, if you if the whole point is yeah. that there's supposed to be this legal protection, but then Amazon says, oh, well, even though you got this legal protection, you're not doing a good enough job of moderating comments that you're not legally. You see, you see what I mean? Yeah, they're acting like a like a shadow government almost of the Internet. Right. And they have these rules like I think it was Twitter, but I, I'm not exactly sure I might be wrong that said that, you know, we're shutting this down for safety reasons. Now, obviously, guarding people from speech as a matter of safety is the oldest excuse for censorship. It's as old as censorship itself. But the idea that they have some kind of uh, we've created this we've normalized the idea that they have some sort of responsibility to keep us safe from words. Right. I mean, that's a dangerous that's a dangerous road to go down, I think. And, you know, people get mad at me. They say, like, um, at least on Twitter, you know, you care more about the speech issue than the Capitol riot, you know, the insurrection, the armed insurrection and coup and et cetera. Yeah, in, in some sense, I do. I think that that was a terrible and embarrassing moment in American history. But I don't think it has any long term effect on how we live our life, unless, of course, Biden passes some kind of domestic terrorism act or some kind of, you know, intrusive thing like that. But the speech issue that is with us now. We've created new norms that are with us now moving forward. It's, you know, the day after Trump gave them an excuse, they literally shut down half of conservative, you know, uh, interactions on social media, just like that. I mean, I've lost a lot of followers. I don't know what that's about, but um, it's clearly some kind of coordinated and concerted effort. And I also, I, I think that the the way that the, the the dragnet that they're going to be using here, so to speak, is going to take it. There's so many people who, you know, I, I remember even you know, for a while it was like people were worried if they were looking at, you know, Al Qaeda statements to be terrorism researchers. And, and they and it turned out, yeah, some of them were getting uh, all, all of a sudden they were popping up on some radars for people that are, you know, understanding the, you know, the Arabic uh videos that would be released by inspiring some of these groups uh, that, that were meant to bring people to, to jihadism. I mean, so at this point, if, if you use hashtag stop the steal and you're mocking it, let's say even are, are people to believe that your Twitter account or whatever is going to be safe from? I don't think so. I mean, I think that they're just they're just nailing people all over the place and they don't care. Yeah. I mean, I don't understand why someone can't have the opinion that the election was stolen. It's not that. It's not it's not even hate speech or anything. They think the election was stolen, just as most Democrats, 67 percent of Democrats believed on about 2016. So, like, I, I don't even understand. I do understand. I mean, it's just a pretext to try to shut people up. And anyone, any journalist, especially 
which is what they do now most of the time, who works to shut down the voices of people who is excited about shutting down people who they don't like are illiberal people. They are not believers in the First Amendment. And just because they, through a technicality, can say, uh, you know, you don't have the right to say whatever you want. You can't scream uh, fire in a theater and that kind of nonsense um, in a crowded theater. They are illiberal. It doesn't matter that it, if it's legal or not, in my opinion. I don't know if that makes sense. I just No, it absolutely matters. There's effective. a culture of the First Amendment, too. It's not just about the constitutional protection uh, from government interference and the law. So I, I completely agree with you. But uh, I've been saying this and a lot of journalists got, you know, journals got mad at me. The biggest the biggest advocates these days publicly of suppression of free speech are people who make a living based on the principle of free speech, which is journalists. And I, I think that that should be noted. I mean, there, there are a lot of the biggest censors are people who work at CNN and work at The New York Times. But we've got to leave it there for today. David Harsani, everybody check out his latest at nationalreview.com. David, thanks so much. Anytime. Thanks for having me. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Well, because nine days is a long time uh, for this president to do damage. Um, he showed that on Wednesday when we were going through what should have been an important historic but ceremonial process of counting uh, the electors. So I, I think every day he's in office, he remains a real and present danger to the country. And the best thing would be for him to resign. That would be the most immediate. Uh, the next best thing would be for the vice president to invoke the 25th. But Mike Pence has seldom shown the courage to take an act like that, or if ever. The president resigning at this point uh, is, I think we all know, not going to happen. I, sh I should say Highly, highly unlikely. I can't predict the future, but I don't think Trump's going to do that. Um, and it's also, I think, showing everybody just how much the Democrat Party really cares about unity, that there is there is no longer any any serious argument or movement for anything to happen other than Trump to leave and Biden to take office. But as I've been saying, they really do want humiliation of him they want to go after him in fact here here's tom rogers saying it play four that after the riots after all the legislators had to flee a majority of republican elected legislators came back to vote in support of the big lie and what that really says is they believe their constituents still believe in trump and as you've said many times this is a cult of personality and given the fact that it's a cult of personality, I think we have to go after him as a person, not as the head of a political movement. They want to ruin Trump and and his family and everyone around him personally. I mean, they they want them to be true pariahs. And I don't think they're going to stop this even after Trump leaves office, which is should be a reminder to everybody of, of what what happens when the left is in a position to do that to people. They'll even do it to a former president of the United States. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. The very people uh, who were most disadvantaged by the Trump tax cuts were working class Americans. They're the ones that got screwed by those tax cuts, by the deregulation, by all the things that were helping the richest people in the world. A lot of those working class Americans pay more in taxes. Think about this after the Trump tax cuts than Amazon.
Let me say that again. A lot of those working class Americans who got screwed by Donald Trump's economic policy, screwed by his tax cuts, screwed by his deregulation, screwed by everything that he did to help the richest, wealthiest Americans. And then, of course, he'd go down to Mar-a-Lago and was quoted as saying to all of his billionaire friends there, I just made all of you a lot richer tonight. Yeah. You should love me. Remember that. It's working class Americans who continue to get the short end of the stick. Let's just start with this. Joe Scarborough doesn't care about working class Americans. Okay, let's let's deal with reality here. Joe Scarborough is a an ultra elitist. uh, I I don't even what his politics are anymore than he he absolutely hates and despises Donald Trump. And I I think he's a Democrat. That's what you are when you're speaking to an entirely Democrat audience, telling them what they want to hear. But more importantly, and this isn't about, you know, one guy. This isn't about just uh, what. you know, whatever he's saying on TV, it's about the rewriting of the history of the Trump administration's policies that's going to occur now. They view the entire MAGA agenda and the Trump legacy as very damaged and, and greatly wounded right now. And it, they're not just going to focus on the Capitol Hill riot and they're not going to look at, at only those issues. They're going to go into a whole slew of other issues now and tell us that, oh, what we thought we saw what we thought we experienced with the prosperity and with the advances of, of the Trump administration's economic agenda was all just like a figment of our imaginations. It, it wasn't real. Here's the truth about the tax cut. And I'm going to say this. Tax cuts are not some revolutionary change the country for, you know, for all time policy change. It's the most cliche GOP move in the book. That doesn't mean it's not right. But I'm just saying that, that that's. That's what we got year one when Trump had the House and the Senate. It was not enough, friends. And you, you, we need to understand that. We need to be honest about it. It was not enough. Um, I don't mean the tax cuts weren't enough. I mean, as a policy to pursue, it wasn't enough. And deregulation is just executive orders and administrative agencies changing how they do something But that only comes from the top of the executive branch. So when you have a change in the executive branch, guess what? Now all your deregulating gets re-regulated. And that's about to happen. And then some. But let's just pull apart for a moment this because I heard a lot of this for a long time that the, the tax cuts hurt working class people or didn't help them. The average household income because of the tax cuts went up. Something along the order of I forget the exact number, but it was a couple thousand dollars. I think it was two to three thousand dollars for the average household income in the U.S. Uh, so, you know, when, when you look at this, uh, by the way, the average household income in January of 2019. So that's the most recent figure you have was sixty three thousand six hundred and eighty eight dollars. And household income was higher because of the tax cut. Wages were rising under Trump. Now, we did have a booming economy. You'd expect there to be some rise in wages. Uh, and, and a part of that, I think, was the change in the approach to some aspects of immigration. But understand this the Trump team on H-1B visas and, and some you know, immigration areas. They, they were not not really following through on an, an American's first agenda for employment. Uh, that was not that's not a fair reading of what was happening. But back to the the tax cuts and deregulation for a second. 
Uh, your taxes are going to go up, and they're going to go up, I think, pretty substantially. They're going to say that you won't have uh, a big increase in federal taxes, but that's there, there are so many ways. If you increase the corporate tax rate, which is that's going to be their, their first move, I think, will be that. They're going to jack the corporate tax rate right back up, and that's going to have a, a big negative impact on on corporate uh, on corporate earnings across the board, which will affect the stock market, which I know they say, well, only, you know, uh, a, a certain percentage of Americans own stocks. But as you know, the stock market is an indicator of broader economic activity. And if you have a 401k or if you have a defined pension plan, the only way that it meets those obligations is by making money in the stock market. That's why there are people who are money managers who are handling big pension funds. So it affects everybody. And, and I think that you're going to have Democrats go back to the, the era of Obama economic policy where weak, slow growth is justified by this is what's fair. As in, there's a, there's a social justice attitude toward economic growth. So, yeah, so what if people aren't, you know, if wages aren't rising the way they should? So what if we're, we're doing what we think is right? And another another perfect example of this is on uh, is on the fifteen dollar minimum wage, which they're absolutely going to do. They're going to they're going to push through a fifteen dollar minimum wage. And this is an issue where it, it is still so popular. People like and I understand this. Right. Why should the minimum wage increase? You sit around, you think people work hard. And this is what I always tell younger folks. I've spoken at some colleges before, spoken to college classes. I've spoken at my own high school to graduating seniors. I always tell them, just remember, you know, whatever your job, everyone has to show up and do a job. Everyone works hard at their job. So, you know, you, you want to be as well compensated for what you want to do as possible. And and I, I try to tell everybody that you got to remember that as you're picking a profession. But of course, if someone's doing an honorable, an, you know, an honorable job, which just means showing up for a legal profession, providing a service that other people want, if that's what's going on, if that's their their approach, uh, I do want them to be compensated in a way where they can pay their bills and they can. But what happens with a fifteen dollar minimum wage? It'll benefit some people. It will not benefit some other people. And you won't hear about them. You won't hear from the Democrats about the reduction in jobs, about the increase in automation, about the cutback in hours. And what's the what's the simplest? What's the most straightforward way to change uh, to change how all this is done? Right. If, if you're a business that now has to pay a 15 dollar minimum wage, well, one, you may go out of business. I mean, it depends on, on what your your expenses are and how all that works. But beyond that, you may also have people that are just going to get less hours, right? So instead of having somebody on payroll for 40 hours a week, you put them on payroll for 20 hours a week and you just, maybe your business is less productive. But you see, we're going to go back. We're going to have all these arguments all over again. And you're going to see a lot of rewriting of history because the first three years of the Trump presidency, the pre-COVID years of the Trump presidency were financially really good for the country. Uh, overall, including, as I said, average household income increase under Trump. OK, if you if you look at that, that figure, uh, the truth is that I mean, here, look, this is actually from the White House in September of this year, that median household income reached an all time high and real median household income increased by forty four hundred dollars in twenty nineteen 
reaching an all-time high of $68,700. This represents a 6.8% one-year increase, which is the largest one-year increase in income on record. So there, there is an economic legacy here of some pretty good decision-making. wasn't perfect, pretty good decision-making. And there, that's going to be completely, not just abandoned, uh, by the by the Democrats now, of course, they're going to do the other things, but they're also going to try very hard to repudiate it. And it's going to be on, on all of us to say, hold, hold on a second. We, we keep running this experiment and the Democrats say, if only you do the following, everything's going to be so much better. And it doesn't work the way they say it's going to work. It, it doesn't happen the way they say it should happen. And then, sure enough, the American people figure this out. They they. Vote Republican again when they see that these Democrat economic policies don't have the uh, the end benefits and effects they say they will. And we just keep repeating this cycle. I would just like us to remember what we've learned that's true about the economy. That would be a really nice place to a really nice place to start, a really nice place to go forward here. Um, but be prepared for a particularly uh, particularly aggressive combination of big business working hand in glove with big government and also social justice economics we cannot forget i mean even when joe biden was talking about helping small businesses he said publicly we're going to help small businesses with with a specific government focus on on black and latino and uh and female and native american owned businesses there's going to be so much more of that I mean, the 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 picking and choosing of who gets government resources based upon uh, the superficial characteristics of human beings that should not be in any way a focus of of government action at all. I mean, you know, if you believe in in equal protection under the law, you should believe that we don't make these kinds of determinations. But the left clearly does. And they're going to continue to do that. And you'll see that all throughout the economy, a big increase in demands for. Um, minority and female representation as a matter of law on the boards of companies, essentially getting us closer and closer to um, really aggressive quota systems. But they will never allow it to be called the quota system because the Supreme Court has already found that actual clear quotas are illegal. I mean, you can't actually do a a quota. Um, So they'll be they'll be fond of continuing to push this without saying that that's really what they're doing. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. You, yourself, are not known as a person who compromises. No, I am. I compromise. We want to get the job done. I'm I'm mischaracterized by the Republicans that way, but that's a tactic that they use. No, we know we want results for the American people. What about the COVID relief package that was held up for eight months? No, but that was their obstruction. I understand this. Well, wait. Was their obstruction. Yours too. Their obstruction. No, yours too. No, it wasn't obstruction. You held out for eight months. No, no, we held it up because there was no... No respect for our heroes, our our state and local health care workers, police and fire, our first responders, our sanitation, transportation, food workers, our teachers, our teachers, our teachers. They would not go down that path. 
There's a member of your caucus who said specifically that we look like obstructionists and it was a mistake. But I don't remember anybody saying that. And they may have. And they may have. But it isn't, it, it wasn't a mistake and I would not. And nobody expects me to, to support something that solidifies injustice in our country. Pelosi getting some actual, actual journalism pushback. Hey, we, what do we do here? We give credit where it's due. We call it like we see it. Leslie Stahl asking some real questions of Nancy Pelosi. Now, you're going to, I think that this is something that will be a little bit more common uh, because the the journos feel like they're so ascendant right now with the Democrats in power all, all over the place that they can they can pretend to do their jobs a little bit more, but not really. I mean, they're not really going to hammer uh, hammer these issues, but they are going to they are going to push back a tiny bit when there are journos who are being uh, entirely disingenuous or, or I'm sorry, when there are politicians who are being entirely disingenuous or dishonest. And Nancy Pelosi certainly falls into that category. Uh, Nancy Pelosi is somebody who, quite honestly, uh, when you see what's going on with her, when you see what's happening, she didn't care at all about the suffering that was happening because of her delay. It simply did not matter to Pelosi. The only calculation that she cared to make was what would this do for Democrat power? The only calculation that was going through Nancy Pelosi's mind when she was stopping. And let's be very clear about this checks from going to millions of Americans, stopping an enormous amount of financial relief that the government owes to its people right now because it is government policy that has caused the devastation of so many businesses and and industries. She slowed all of that down because the misery of the American people in 2020 was to her political benefit. She slowed it down for that reason and that reason alone. And it, it did not matter to her. So so Chardonnay Nancy here can say as much as she wants to notice. She goes, I didn't know anyone said that. I, I, I didn't, you know, I, just, I, was, I care so much about poor people and everything else. I mean, no one really believes that, right? Nancy Pelosi is, is in so many ways the ultimate limousine liberal. I mean, she is a woman who basically lives in a, in a castle on a hill in San Francisco And what matters to her is that she maintains the ability to wield power and to force the government to do what she wants it to do. That's what is most important. That is what matters most. Right. Or, you know, that she can push legislation that she wants and that she stays in this position of authority. So I have to say I was a little surprised Leslie Saul pushed her on this. But I think there's also there's also a sense among the Democrats you know, Pelosi is I think she's 78 or or I mean, she, Pelosi is not pulling up uh, or bringing up any successor here, really. And and it seems like Pelosi's obsessed with her own ability to be at, at this at the levers of government power and being control in this way. And I think what we, what we all see here is the Democrats recognizing that she may become at some point more of a more of a liability for them, especially as there's this left wing insurgency, so to speak, politically speaking, from within the the AOC caucus of Democrats. Right. There's this left wing movement within the Democrat Party that is clearly ascended. And Pelosi represents something of the old order. So I, they're not going to push her aside politically quite yet. But there are going to be 
some murmurs among the journos, among the elites, among the intelligentsia that, you know, maybe Nancy needs to think about who's going to take the speaker's gavel in two years. You know, maybe Nancy needs to start getting ready for and especially as, as the covid relief dollars get turned on. Republicans who right now don't feel like they've got a whole lot of ground to fight back uh, on on anything, um, you know, politically, again, politically speaking, uh, Republicans are going to say, see, look, all this money gets turned on. Things get better pretty quickly for a lot of people. Nancy Pelosi held that hostage. Nancy Pelosi prevented the American people from getting the funds that they were due because it helped her and her party's immediate interests. And I know we just had an election, so we can't say that there's going to be accountability for that soon. I I hope people remember in two years, and we're certainly going to remember it here on this show. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm not holding my breath on that, and especially as uh, some of the president's cabinet members are deserting ship, you know, and I describe it like rats deserting a, a sinking ship. Rather than staying, stay and doing their jobs and being patriotic and invoking the 25th Amendment along with the vice president, I'm not holding up hope for that. But, uh, you know, we're going to give him a, a, a chance to do the right thing. Now, I'm just going to say this, and, and I hope I hope that it uh, comes across the right way. Um we will never be who the Democrats are. And, and I mean that we won't take the same kind of uh, nastiness and vindictiveness and, and apply this to people we disagree with. I mean, these are our, these are our fellow Americans. And there's a, a troubling trend that I see here. And I'm hoping that it lessens. I'm hoping that it starts to drop drop down a bit that that the the temperature cools off of people who instead of celebrating uh instead of democrats celebrating what have been major victories for them let's let's just all be honest about it major victories for them and a new administration coming in that that will free them in their minds from the all all of the terrible things from the Trump administration the focus seems much less on celebration and much more on score settling. And this is very, very damaging. Um, and, and I think that it's a change from what you've seen even in, in previous times. Now, there's always going to be some people in, in politics who take a scorched earth, destroy the opponents, even after they pose no threat to you position. There are always going to be there are bad people out there, certainly in this country and every country. There are people who don't approach not only politics, but don't approach anything in their lives really with, with any honor or grace or fundamental decency. And I think we have to we have to be prepared both for the other side to lack in those things while maintaining our own. We have to say to them, we we understand that you plan on engaging in this purge and, and attacking people. I mean, let's all be very clear. When Trump won the election in 2016, just so we're clear, when Trump won in 2016, uh, there was no there was no effort afterwards to find everybody who had worked for Obama and make sure they couldn't get jobs or or to find everybody who had been a 
senior Obama advisor and uh, and you know ruin their lives. Or no, in fact, if you were a senior Obama advisor, if you were part of that administration, you likely transitioned into a very cushy, high paid corporate job, probably at like Facebook or Google or Amazon. You went to one of these places and and you did quite well. And there was there was never any sense that that I that I that I can at least remember. I mean, I'm just going off of my feelings about this. There was never any sense of let's go and ruin all the Obama people now that power has changed hands. It was all right. We've got this non-traditional candidate now back in 2016 presidential victor Donald Trump. What can we do now? What does what does make America great again mean? How does that actually manifested how is that manifested um and and i think that's such a healthier place for everyone to be i I would love to see democrats right now disappoint or or i should say shut down my expectations of what they're going to do as an american forget about forget about as a commentator as a as a political commentator i sit here and i tell you what i think they're going to do and i'm i'm 90 percent sure of it There's 10 percent of me that still wants to believe that they're not going to embrace what Senator Hirono here says. And I understand Hirono is probably the dumbest single member of the United States Congress. She's certainly at very high on the list. But some of the president's cabinet members are, quote, rats deserting a sinking ship. I mean, that's that's so unhelpful at this moment. And it's it's disconcerting. It's. It saddens me as an American that I I feel like we're going into this period where division, when the left is in power, divisiveness and nastiness is going to be celebrated. Now, there were also moments in the Trump presidency where the president was, uh, I know he's a fighter and we say, oh, but you you know, you're going to challenge the way he fights. You know, you can't. You can't look. Uh, you you can't second guess everything. Monday morning quarterback everything. You know Trump was he was thin skinned. That's true, and he sometimes got overly personal with people, which was not which was not uh, something that he he should have been doing. And anybody that tried to raise that and maybe push him in a in a slightly less uh, controversial direction with some of that stuff was shouted down as being a, a traitor to the movement and everything else. But I do think that when I'm looking at my fellow conservatives in the media and the people that were really, you know, rising and did rise as a result of of Trump. I mean, there are people who are now household names in conservative media almost entirely because of Trump. And they really just got lucky and were a little opportunistic. That's a real thing. Uh, But there were also a lot of people who viewed this. And I, I would put myself in this category, view this as okay. When Trump won in 2016, it was. How can we help shape an administration and and an agenda that's best for the whole country? It it wasn't about score settling. Because that's a very, very destructive view to take. And and everything that I'm seeing right now indicates to me that the Democrats priority is not going to be because here's what's going to happen. Joe Biden doesn't have some fix for covid. All right. And the vaccine rollout so far has been. It's just abominable. And Joe Biden doesn't have some much, much better. You know, he doesn't have a magic wand to wave to stop all the covid cases. And and then there's going to be a lot of 
a lot of people who are really invested in this idea of the continuation, the propagation of lockdowns uh, well beyond even when we get the vaccines out to a large number and the Democrats aren't going to want to cross those people. And there's it's going to be very hard to extricate ourselves from this huge infringement upon our, our individual freedoms. I mean, the most basic liberty, who can you see? Where can you go? What can you do? I mean, the most basic liberties have been taken away as a result of, of the COVID uh, lockdown ideology. And Biden and, his, and, and all the people around him, once they're in charge of all that, once they're the ones responsible for those ramifications, and when we don't see that everything gets better right away, it's not. Uh, there's going to be a, a sense of, I, I, for a lot of people, they're going to say, well, hold on a second. We, we were promised normalcy and and a and a return to dignity, right? That's what Biden's underlying premise has always been. And what we're going to see is incompetence, uh, collectivist statists who can't actually follow through on, on the good things that they say will happen. They can't actually make uh, make things improve the way that they've claimed. And then they're going to be looking for scapegoats. And I feel like they're already lining them up right now. What do they really think the country looks like if they got their way? I've been running this thought experiment the last few days. What would happen if and it looks increasingly like they could do this? I don't think they will. But what if they were able to knock off air? What if they were able to to push aside um all major conservative voices. I mean, take a, take down Fox News, take down talk radio and shut conservatives out of all the major Internet platforms. I mean, that would effectively it, it would neutralize the conservative movement in media. What, what would happen then? Do they think that everybody would all of a sudden say, you know what? AOC's got some really great economic ideas. You know what? Joe Biden's actually a really smart guy. All those decades, everyone thought he was a, a mediocrity and kind of a dumbass. That 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 was just, uh, yeah, that wasn't wasn't right. He's actually brilliant. Do they think that's going to change? No, they don't. And see, one of the problems of of suppression and censorship and authoritarianism is that it is a it is a cycle that only breeds more of the same, right? It's, it's a cycle that only creates more uh, pressure on ideas that, because well, what happens is they're going to find other ways. We'll find other ways to, to share these ideas and to create opposition to what we think are bad plans for America. Cause ultimately that's really, I mean, politics is all about conflict management, right? Politics is, is all about finding ways, having a system for the resolution of disputes and the implementation of ideas that win in those disputes. Now, we have a democratic system, so it's supposed to be by the consent of the majority. But we also have these uh, these these checks and balances built into the system. So there are minority uh, political rights as in, and, and individual rights as enshrined in the Constitution. Right. So we, we have this whole complicated system because it's for resolving conflicts and tensions within society. And, and, the, and as part of that resolution, we get, we get laws and we get, uh, you know, po foreign policy and we get all these different things that end up happening as the end product of that machinery. Um, but a big part of this all rests on, on everyone understanding that conflict in society, uh, ideologically speaking, is actually healthy. It's actually better 
If you have a uniform society that that completely agrees on the most you know, challenging social and economic issues of the day, uh, usually it's because there has been a force uh, applied at the top to make everybody think that. And, and even if an idea is a good idea, everyone should understand what the alternative to it would be. There's always, uh, there's always a, a give and take. And we're, you're discussing things like you know, individual versus, versus collective rights. When you're talking about you know, the free market versus government regulation for the good of society. You, you have all these you know, freedom versus security or, or freedom versus liberty versus order. These are fundamental, uh, fundamental conflicts within society that we have a political system meant to allow for the airing of the different opinions on this and then to take action based upon, uh, based upon what the framework that's in place dictates. And, and we're, we're starting to drift away from this now. And I'm not even just talking about the, the terrible stuff on Capitol Hill that happened. And, and I'm not even just talking about the Russia collusion attempted coup against the president that lasted as long as it did. I just mean, you know, for the for the average person now, they're being encouraged to take the average Americans being encouraged to take a highly personal view of their political uh, allegiances and to view that as the prison through which all aspects of their lives must be seen. And, and when you personalize at that level, when you make it so nasty, uh, when you make it so, so intrinsic to one's sense of self as well, you're going to get these stories you see about, Oh, you know, I, I, I won't speak to my parents ever again because they were Trump voters or I won't, this this is this is unhealthy stuff. And this even goes beyond the, the partisan fight that I'm talking about right now. This goes just to what kind of a society, what kind of a country we want to live in. We, we should have a sense that we can disagree on stuff without disliking each other, that we can disagree on on what the best uh, policy decisions are for the United States. We can disagree even on, you know, on on a lot of big stuff but know that we're all essentially on the same team and i know you're gonna say oh buck what about antifa and people that undo the whole system i'm saying it's a mindset this isn't a hard and fast rule right i mean in every country there are going to be people there's always radical movements that want to undo everything and and want to engage in tyranny and and you have to suppress those but one of the ways you suppress those more radical elements in a in a healthy functioning society is by having the rest, you know, by having the majority, by having the the average, you know, the, in this case, the average American feel like I know we're going to disagree on stuff, but I want what's best for us in America. I want what's best for this country in general. And as I as I've always said, one of my disappointments for what happened in this last election is that I really believed that Donald Trump's approach to things like the economy and trade and intervention in foreign wars meant that there would be a better, happier, brighter, safer future for four years than a, than a Joe Biden presidency for everyone. I, I, I truly believe that. And, and I think, unfortunately, what we've seen post-election is going to tarnish a lot of what Trump had achieved up to the election in politics, or at least will be used to malign and undermine. You can think that it's unfair to blame Trump as much as he's being blamed and all that, and I understand that, but it is going to be used to those purposes. It already is. And it's a very hard thing 
uh, a very hard thing to, to turn back. It's once people start to have this widespread perception, I think it's very difficult to change that around. So I, I, I guess what I'm ultimately just trying to say here, as I'm sharing my thoughts, I didn't plan this segment today. I didn't do some research, but I just wanted to talk to you all. Is that we, we just have to we just have to keep the faith and be good people through all this. These are very tense times. There's a lot of anger. There's a lot of of uh, frustration and and bruised egos and real fear and real anxiety. And there's all this out there. We've gone through a hellish year as a nation with COVID. As a, uh, the world has gone through a hellish year in 2020, and we need to keep being uh, good, honorable. Uh, God-loving, family-celebrating Americans, no matter what is thrown at us in the in the weeks ahead, and that's going to be a, it's a lot easier said than done. I know that, but you know we 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 just we keep our heads up and we we remember who we are, what we're all about, and there are absolutely better days ahead for the country. And I would I would love to see Democrats take more of that attitude. You know what, guys. There's better stuff ahead. We we aren't we we're gonna we're gonna let bygones be bygones politically. Let's move forward together. Wouldn't that be great? That said, you're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Well, here's a story that's kind of surprising. Greener pastures don't appeal to all who left NYC. When the pandemic hit, many residents bolted, but some can't wait to return. This is interesting. You don't hear a lot of this these days. Christina Ray Stanton always considered herself a diehard New Yorker. It's kind of like me. The 51-year-old, this is all in the Wall Street Journal, by the way. The 51-year-old lived in Manhattan for 27 years and worked as a tour guide, proudly showing her beloved city to visitors from around the world. She had no plans to leave. But the pandemic changed all that. She and her husband are now living in the three-story townhouse they bought in September in her hometown of Tallahassee, Florida. It's on the main street with restaurants. We're always trying to recreate our Manhattan experience, she says. Well, how's it working out? Mrs. Stanton has mixed feelings. She's now able to care for her 80-year-old mother who lives nearby. Uh, the author of a book about her bout with COVID-19, she has more time for her writing, and she's been struck by the beauty of her hometown. But the culture shock... People tend to hang out with their families, Mrs. Stanton says of her new neighbors, and we don't have kids. And while her New York friends thought her conservative Tallahassee folks find her super liberal, it's disconcerting. I took it for granted having like-minded people around me, she says. I'm more careful what I say since I live down here. You know, that's the thing. I mean, the grass, I guess, is not always greener for everybody. Uh, but wow, it would be amazing for me to live in a place where I could think that there's a good chance that the people around me see the world a little bit more the way that I do. I, I've lived my entire life in in places where I've just and this is because I grew up here. I'm from here. It's what I was comfortable with. It's where my family is. But I've I've been in the only three residences I've really had in in America in my life are Amherst, Massachusetts, which is basically a communist enclave, New York City, which don't have to say any more than that, and Washington D.C. So. What she finds is disconcerting about being too liberal for people. I don't know. Maybe I got to go check out Tallahassee, Florida. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. The show ain't over yet, folks. Keeping it real. It's time for Roll Call. 
producer Mark. Give us a bit of sunshine today, my friend. What? Well, you know, that's you're you're Mister Sunshine. So, what? Well, give us some happy thoughts from courtesy of producer Mark. Uh, since when am I Mister Sunshine? Okay, well, we're going to pretend for today because you know it's a tough time out there in the world. I was, about so. to say, I was just I was just checking. I, usually, I'm doom and gloom. That's that's a fair point. Yeah. But I mean, I feel like even you've got to see there's good things out there. Yeah, hockey starts tomorrow. There we go. Yeah. And who's going to be who's good at hockey? Uh, a lot of NHL players, pretty much. No, all I of mean, them. What, what teams? Come on, I mean, what teams are going to be good? Uh, I would say uh, you always got to look out for the Lightning. They won the Cup last year, but then you know. I didn't even know there's a team called the Lightning. The this Tampa Bay Lightning. Oh wow! Really? Okay. okay. Yeah. Do you know there's a team in Las Vegas now? No. What are they called? The Golden Knights. The Golden Knights. Yeah. Why are they? Why are they? Golden Knights. How well, did that come about? I believe the owner was Air Force or Army and wanted them to be called the Knights, but Army had its Army had that trademark, so they went with gold, Golden Knights. Ah. They have awesome jerseys. If you Google it, they probably have the nicest jerseys in the NHL. Honestly, I've never, I've never even heard of this before. It's something no? very interesting. Oh, that's a really cool logo. Actually, yeah. like that would be like a good Shields High logo. I kind of like it. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fan. Um, okay. Interesting. Very interesting. All right. You know what, Mark, uh, as soon as they open up the hockey, man, I still, I, I still owe you a hockey game. So we're allowed to go in person and any word on when that's actually going to happen in New York. Yeah. <laughs> Good luck. Yeah. No idea. Right. Yeah. No clue. There are a couple of teams, uh, in all the leagues that are letting fans in, but it's only in the areas, you know, like Florida, I think Nashville's allowing, but I'm not sure if the team is yet, you know, teams in the areas in the red States that are allowing fans in at limited capacities, but uh, up here, no. People are just getting so stir-crazy. You know, my my, uh, sister, who's got a a beautiful little baby boy um, that, you know, she's she's obviously doing the mom thing, but I I wanted to have some some, uh, time to catch up with my little sister, and and she heard uh, that I went out to dinner, and she likes this idea, so now I'm going to do this again. I told her, I said, you got to dress for indoor dining in New York City right now, you got to dress like you're going on a polar expedition. I mean, you, you need to show up. You know when you have so many layers on that, like, your arms are a little stiff? You remember when you were a kid and you'd sometimes put, like, your parents would put you in one of those little zip-up snowsuit things? Yes. You basically have to dress like that. And then you can be comfortable eating outside in New York City right now. That's what we, Those are the lengths that we're willing to go through to feel a little bit of normalcy and a little bit of freedom. And somebody sound your sister sounded interested in doing this. She wants to do it. Why? I said okay, because I did it with the snow princess, and she liked it. Although I could barely feel my feet by the time the check came, but you know, it's a thing. I don't think you could pay me enough money to do that. Like I would support the business. I would order takeout because I want to support. Oh local yeah, business, I've been ordering but takeout. But I'm not. I've been ordering takeout. I would never for go sure. That's like you know my uh, my waistline is proof of the uh, the takeout I've been ordering. Man, it's amazing. I don't know how they do it. But, you know, take out like Thai food and this stuff. It just tastes so good. You know, this is what happens. We always at <laughs> the end of the show and I'm hungry. We always want to talk about food because the end of the show. It always somehow gets to food. It we always can be does talking get about back anything to food. and it'll get to food. Well, during during lockdowns, I mean, what else can you really um, you know, what else can you really these days get all get all that excited about? Uh, so it is, you know. Food, food is something that gets, gets it going. All right, let's get into the roll call here. 
I know we got a lot of it. I want to hear from all of you. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton, as long as they don't kick us off of Facebook, which we're hoping they won't. And then uh, Team Buck at iHeartMedia.com if you want to email us. And we got other things, too. Let's get to it. Uh, Dan. Evening, sir. I'm enjoying listening to your show today and agree with your take. I've spent 16 years in special operations forces, and I believe you and I have probably been in closer proximity to each other than either of us realize. Well, Dan, that's very possibly true. I spent some time with uh, the SF folks out in in Western Iraq in 2007. I uh, also had some time with SF folks in Afghanistan in 2009. I, or, no, eight, nine. I, I forget. Honestly, I forget now. It's I was in Iraq a couple times and Afghanistan once. So, uh, yeah, I, I, SF folks were awesome. I'm a huge, huge fan of all our special operations forces. Uh, what they do is amazing. All right, let me get back into your message here. My question is simple. I agree that what happened at the Capitol last week was not appropriate and accomplishes nothing positive. The question I keep asking, and no one will give me an answer, what line will need to be crossed for it to become a whatever-it-takes scenario? As conservative Americans, we've always maintained the reason the Second Amendment is in place is to overthrow an oppressive government. But it seems like even though we say that, what we really mean is if China is literally invading our shores, that's why we have guns, never to overthrow our, our government. Um, I mean, Dan, so, so let, me, let me work at this uh, going backwards. Uh, and thank you for your service, sir, and thank you for writing in. Yes, the Second Amendment is a check against, an ultimate check against government tyranny. Um, and and it, it is true that for a lot of people, and I'm always reminded of that line attributed to, I believe it's Admiral uh, Yamamoto, that you could never invade America because there's a rifle behind every blade of grass, right? You could never made, invade successfully mainland America. The Japanese, as, as a, a interesting, just an interesting point of history, did just to show they could invade the uh, 50, the 50 states and hold territory. I know they bombed Pearl Harbor. Remember, they never held Pearl Harbor. They actually did invade and hold U.S. territory in the 50 states. Atu Island in the Alaskan, uh, I believe it's off the Aleutian Island chain, Atu Island, the Japanese seized it so that they could, for really for propaganda purposes, say we are holding U.S. territory. And there was some very brutal fighting there. And the Marines had to go and, and take it back. And then the, the Japanese who had invaded made essentially a kamikaze charge, and they went for the field hospital specifically of where American wounded were being held. I mean, it was really, really a vicious affair. But yeah, Atu Island... Um, the Japanese did hold U.S. territory in World War II for, for a pretty uh, short period of time, but they did hold it. As for, so yeah, China invading our shores, yes, of course. And, and if we did have a foreign invasion of the United States, then all of a sudden, I, I think at that point, even, even most of the, uh, the left-wing gun grabbers would be very excited about all their neighbors who have AR-15s in that scenario. I, th- I think that even they, a lot of them would say, this is great. Um, there's some... Uh, some anecdotes. I think Charlton Heston actually told the anecdote once that uh, people were asking him if they could borrow guns during the Los Angeles riots as bad as those got because they wanted to defend their homes and their and their businesses. So, you know, a lot of people are anti-gun until all of a sudden there's a a massive mob burning down stores and businesses near them and then they want to be able to defend themselves. As for when we would reach that check where the 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 uh, the government 
I, I think the answer is you would know, meaning you, you know it when we're there. You know it because the, the government has lost all legitimacy and is engaged in, uh, in you know, arbitrary detention of Americans, uh, perhaps even you know, the, the assassination or, or, or murder of American citizens without trial by the government. I mean, the kinds of you know, escalations that I think you could all think of. And to be very clear, that's not happening now. OK, so we're, we're not there. We are we we have political means that are that are peaceful to address these problems before us. I, and I, I think it's very important. We all remember we, we do have political mechanisms to address this. So we all have to just take a deep breath. Remember what I was saying before about honor. We must be steadfast in the face of even the most vicious political opposition and and that's who we are and that's what we're going to do. So Dan, thank you very much for uh writing in. Matthew, I've written a few times to criticize you and disagree with you. Uh okay, Matthew, thanks. However, you've handled yourself remarkably and I've told the honest truth during this crazy situation at the Capitol building. I still disagree with a few things you say, but I must give you credit where it is due. You've done a great job and I've done an outstanding job of holding true to yourself. Uh, well done and and keep up the great work. Well, Matthew, I really, really appreciate you being honest about the fact that I've done I've been honest here and done a good job and done everything I can to tell people the truth about this. And I'm criticism that's said in good faith. I, I always appreciate that, too. So by all means, thank you so much for uh, writing in. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Roll call continues here. We get Chuck writing in Buck. I agree that President Trump was acting in rage, but I also believe we've not gotten to the bottom yet of all the layers in the Navarro report, including Dominion. Wood may be out there, but the election integrity needs full sunshine. It never got to see. I'm pretty upset about you throwing the towel on election integrity, I believe it's possible that Trump lost, but I don't think he did. We have a right to see all of the evidence that never got presented nor was heard. I see what you're trying to do, which is bring reason and honesty and look truth straight in the eyes. But I don't think we got what we deserve, which is a special counsel to make sure. Okay, Chuck, a a, a lot here. So let me let me try to be as um, specific and and uh, on target here as I possibly can. Uh, I think that the I think that all the Dominion stuff so far, we haven't even had what I would consider to be the the presentation of evidence on Dominion, Dominion being except voting machine issues are different from, say, changing, uh, you know, mail in ballot procedures or or having an unconstitutional shift in away from the state legislature to the governor in, say, Pennsylvania, just saying this is how we're going to change election law. Those are different things. And and let me start with Dominion. Linwood is a disaster for the Republican Party. And uh, Sidney Powell has not been helpful at all either and saying a lot of crazy stuff. We need, we need to look. We need to face up to this and say this. It has been bad what they've done. It has not been not been uh, truthful or useful up to this point, I do not believe that there was some uh, conspiracy with Dominion voting machines, nor have I seen 
even the presentation of evidence that I would say would reach a reasonable suspicion phase on Dominion. On the other issues about people voting across state lines when they're not supposed to, you know, uh, people who are voting in two states, people who are, uh, you know, illegal aliens who are registered and they vote. That all deserves a look. And I know that we didn't uh, we, we didn't get that information out there in the way we wanted to see it. But as I've been saying, remember, I was consistent on this all along. Even when I was saying we want answers. We got to check and see. But it's not about what you feel. It's about what you can prove. And we were not able to prove the fraud to the degree that it would have changed the election. And we have to be honest about that. Now, that doesn't mean that it, in the future there might not be some evidence. There could be some, you know, the the, the big the big info drop all of a sudden comes in that there was an, an issue somewhere where someone was manufacturing votes. That's theoretically possible. But we can't make decisions about the future of this country, nor can we agitate to overturn the system, which is a, a really frightening thing uh, based upon a suspicion. Suspicion is one thing. And this is where I mean, the, the president got ahead of himself here by saying I won and I won by a landslide. If you're going to say that as the president, you have to be able to prove it. And he could not prove it. And I know people don't. I, I know there are people that are already they're getting annoyed at me for saying this. I'm telling you the truth. And I'm right on this one. And I understand the emotions that hold people back from from being able to see it this way. I get it. I understand all the frustration. I know what a Biden presidency is going to mean for this country, but we have to face the truth. We have to do it. Um, so I, I think I address most of what you're saying here, and, and I appreciate that you understand that I'm coming at this from a place of good faith. Um, you know, that's that's where we Oh, here you wrote. I'll keep listening to you, but please don't be part of submarining an issue that caused hundreds of thousands of people to go to D.C. to get answers. Now we may never know. I'm having trouble with that. Um, I, I, I have been very clear in all of my statements about this, that the lawful legal people who showed I mean, lawful legal protesters in D.C., uh, uh, they were completely within their rights. I support their quest for answers. And they have a right to go out and protest. No question about it. And, I, and I, that's fine. I draw a hard line at the violence and the destruction at the Capitol. That's all. Anybody who is in D.C. who is peacefully protesting within the law, support that action. Uh, I don't necessarily agree with all the things they're saying or thinking, but I support the act of protesting lawfully. I do not support uh, assaulting police officers or going at the Capitol. And that's a you, we all have to draw hard lines on this stuff i really believe that and i and if if anyone listening to this feels like that means that i'm not there i'm not their guy for a while or maybe ever that's a shame and it disappoints me but i'm not i'm not gonna budge on this one i can tell you that much and it would be like someone telling me that well you know people shouldn't have dogs as pets i love dogs not gonna budge on that either now that's obviously not an issue of major principle but i'm just saying there's some things i'm never going to be convinced about and one of them is that we we must make a determination between uh, lawful protest and, and the rule of law and illegal and violent activities. Always, always, you know, and and that's that's, I think, something I, I hope you all understand where I'm coming from on that. Casey Buck, thank you for being a consistent, reasonable and cathartic listen this week, especially today. 
I'm so disheartened with the blame being shoveled toward the president for inciting a riot that not only uh, that, but but that those on the right who are being opportunistic and wanting to take an opportunity to jump ship after enjoying positives for four years. Probably my favorite quality I hear in your show is humility. Frankly, you can skip this part if you read on air. Those like Shapiro I listen to think that they're the smartest in the room and the arrogance in this moment is a bit too grating. We're all on the same team. We all want the best for the country. But the circular firing squad, as you mentioned, has to stop. I've listened since the blaze and your level headed approach is in this time only solidifying my support for you. Have an awesome week. Shields high. Well, that's a great message to end on, Casey. Thanks so much for saying uh, for sending it in. And everybody, we're going to be we're going to be all right. We're going to get through this together. We got brighter, better days ahead as a country. Just remember who you are. Remember who we are. Shields high.